Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's installment of the TCU Neely School of Business Real Estate Webinar. My name is Carl Pankratz, and I'm adjunct professor at TCU, and I'm also uh, president and managing director of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. Uh, Blackacre Commercial, um, we wear three hats. Uh, number one, uh, for commercial real estate owners, we help with your debt and equity needs. Uh, for cities, we help with your economic development needs. And for businesses, we help with your business consulting needs. We have a tremendous guest today in, in Ryan Davis. And for anybody that uh, has watched a number of these broadcasts, Ryan was actually the, the first guest on uh, this program. And uh, together, me and Ryan learned the term Zoom bomb by being Zoom bombed. And uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever fully recover. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever fully recover uh, from that experience. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I was glad to have Ryan back to give us an update. Uh, you know, I'll go through his bio, but, you know, one of the neat things about Ryan is that if you are uh, really the apartment space, if you're a class A institutional, um, class B um, syndicator, and everything in between, there's not really a better go-to knowledge for economic data than, than Ryan Davis uh, in DFW, but really nationally as well. Uh, I've known Ryan for a long time, was served on boards, and, and everybody's always trying to listen, you know, what's what's the latest and greatest, Ryan? Can, can you give us a hint? What's that next market? Come on, Ryan, you know? <laughs> and uh, here I have his bio up. So, uh, you know, Ryan Davis serves as the Chief Operating Officer as Witten Advisors. In this role, Ryan provides fact-based research, analysis, and discussion to help clients formulate their apartment market strategies. This insight informs apartment investment decisions for multifamily development and buy-sell opportunities. And then as his experience is, you know, after completing his PhD, Ryan joined Whitten Advisors as a senior economist. Previously, Ryan was vice president of Royal Bank of Canada's Capital Markets Division, where he was responsible for originating, underwriting, and closing multifamily and commercial mortgages for inclusion in CMBS pools and for sale to Fannie and Freddie. Uh, before, Royal Bank of Canada. Ryan was a director at BMC Capital, a multifamily and commercial mortgage banking firm. Um, and with that, uh, Ryan received a PhD in economics from the University of Texas at Dallas and graduated summa cum laude from Swanee, the University of the South. And with that, I'd love to turn it over to my, my friend, uh, Ryan Davis, to, to give us a market update and give us some great information of what's going on today. So Ryan, I'll leave it off to you. All right, sounds good. And yeah, the Zoom bomb is definitely uh, was a wild experience for sure. But it's been uh, the source of some good stories and some good laughs over over drinks with friends recently. So uh, yeah, there's a uh, it was crazy while it happened, but at the end of the day, it's kind of fun, very funny to to look back on it. And so Ryan, Ryan, I just got I got to say though, while it's happening, it was terrifying. <laughs> so it's funny now but yeah. when you cannot control your screen it's terrible so sorry back to you, back to you. yeah I, absolutely uh so hopefully you can see uh, i think i've shared my screen and for those that are listening on a podcast there's a uh, some slides available if you're able to access the the video version but hopefully i'll make it so that you don't necessarily have to have the the visuals to understand what's what's going on but I'll just kind of start off with kind of you know, our view on how apartment markets uh, 
you know, kind of the, our, kind of our outlook for them, you know, all depends on the course of the virus, which we're beginning to understand more and more each day. But, you know, as the surge and virus cases that we've seen since uh, late June and early part of July and the associated uh, rollback of some of the openings across the, uh, con the economies in Texas, Florida, Arizona, et cetera. Uh, you know, it, the, the outlook all depends on the, the virus and the, the economy, et cetera. So kind of as I begin every conversation these days, there's a huge asterisk around uh, everything that we, we discuss, uh, large amounts of uncertainty. But with that, we'll uh, just dive right in on the, the next slide too, and which looks at the monthly job gains across the, the U.S. And what's old news now, but the labor market is showing that the uh, economy uh, bounced back from the April lows. We added two and a half million jobs in May and nearly five million in June. But how the BLS tracks employment is that June number represents a change from mid-May to mid-June, which was before that run-up in virus cases. And uh, so it's really kind of almost three weeks old now. We'll get the latest numbers uh, on Friday from the, the BLS. We did get ADP's estimate of private payrolls this morning, which showed only 167,000 jobs gained. I think the consensus for the BLS number is for about one and a half million. But again, like so many data points uh, these days, there's a wide range of uh, you know, data points that could be in, in that range. It could be two million, it could be, uh, it could show a loss. So we'll just have to, to wait and see to, until, until Friday. But the there are two, inset graphics here uh, in the left shows the monthly evolution of job gains by wage tier and so low wage sectors bore the brunt of job losses during peak lockdowns in, in March and then into to April but they also saw the biggest rebound in May and June so think of leisure and hospitality uh, the, those uh, sectors really saw uh, large layoffs in, in the spring but then we got uh, the bounce back in, in May and June. Then as we work our way up the salary scale, high wage positions shed fewer jobs. Uh, however, only 10% of the high wage positions that were lost in April have actually come back, which far underperforms low wage positions. So in terms of the overall economy, we've recovered about 34% of the jobs that we lost in, in, in April. Uh, however, we've recovered almost half the low-wage jobs, but only 10% of the, the high-wage positions. And so that, uh, that there's a big question mark in terms of the pace of high-wage uh, positions going forward uh, in terms of new hiring for at the top end of the salary scale. And there's a, another inset graphic here which shows job openings from Indeed. So this is a high-frequency data set, and the blue line shows that high-wage job openings have remained near their lows, and those are underperforming middle and the bottom wage tiers. And so, uh, you know, part of the reason is that high-wage positions have been slower to accelerate is that they saw fewer layoffs for, for sure. But however, there's some concern at the top end of the market, are firms willing to invest in uh, high-wage positions? And that certainly has 
you know, a big, uh, big implications for the top end of the apartment market. And so, uh, you know, going forward, and especially with uh, lots of supply coming online, and those deliveries will end up, you know, getting getting uh, filled up. But uh, you know, the, many of those units will have been uh, in the past will have been leased by folks that are that were new hires that are coming out of college, being you know, paid, uh, you know high wage positions in tech companies, et cetera. And so if new hiring slows down at the top end of the segment, then it could impact leasing uh, velocity uh, for deals that are trying to, to get leased up. And they may actually end up uh, you know, cannibalizing or you know, taking from you know, the other uh, class A uh, properties. So uh, that's some, some implications in terms of low, medium, high wage uh, positions for multifamily markets. But regardless of the exact number that we get on Friday, the trends are clear in terms of we had a V-shaped recovery in the first two months, but then a leveling out uh, in July. And so these recent developments could be what we should expect uh, for the economy overall, maybe several steps forward and then one step back with regions of the U.S. perhaps responding differently, just depending on how cases uh, develop. But absent another national lockdown as we had in April, it does appear that the worst is behind us. And Ryan, can I ask you, let me ask you a quick question here. Absolutely, jump in whenever. This is, I mean, this is phenomenal data, but it is interesting to just see the, you know, you know, you saw the 44% recovery in the lower wage jobs. and then, you know, as you mentioned, you, you know, you saw a, a significantly lower percentage of, of, of higher end jobs, but then you didn't see them come back, the ones that were lost. So, you know, I, I know this is always, and there's so much more data here, but, you know, you're a, a B or C class, you know, working workforce housing operator, and you're kind of wondering, you know, how, how am I going to weather the storm? So far, I've, I've been, you know, getting rents. Um, but my, you know, my renter is going to be either in that low or, you know, kind of blue middle category. So it looks like, you know, for the most part, those jobs have come back significantly stronger than other jobs when you look at it from a total recovery percentage. Is that fair? Yes, it, it is fair. On the flip side, there have been more layoffs uh, in right. those low, low and middle wage uh, sectors as well. And so, Kind of in terms of implications for B and C uh, owners and operators, you know, kind of th- that segment of the market has been more impacted by stimulus measures, both from you know, monetary and fiscal uh, standpoint. And so, uh, you know, kind of a big question mark is how does the you know super unemployment benefits that we've had over the last several months, you know, that's now expired. And if that gets extended, how does it look, yeah, et cetera. And so, uh, yeah, I think that that BNC market uh, has been supported by the just tremendous stimulus measures that, that we've seen. And so, yeah, if we get that extended, that should help out. However, uh, yeah, PPP loans, uh, the funding for those are beginning to, to run out. In addition, we've, we're seeing bankruptcies increase and, uh, business owners are trying to figure out, do they have a viable business going forward in this post-COVID environment? And so there's going to be, we're at the you know, very beginning stages of this. And I think you know, 
all classes have held up relatively well so far in terms of a rent collections uh, basis. But you know, as the, the economy moves forward and the fallout you know, emerges from you know, different companies having to, to go under and maybe positions that were being furloughed become permanent job losses, then that could you know, affect uh, you know, decisions from you know, apartment renters' perspective. Of, okay, maybe I should you know, move back in with the family for a while, or maybe let's double up and you know, rent an apartment, split the cost. And so I think there's still uh, you know, more to come and we'll get to that in a little bit in terms of you know, multifamily fun fundamentals. But yeah, that's a, that's a good, good question. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so speaking about kind of just the, the pace of, of recovery, um, yeah, kind of we don't think we can add any value uh, in terms of a national job growth outlook standpoint than what many investment banks and macro forecasting firms do. And so we look to a, a wide range and take a consensus view. And so what, what that shows is that we should have improved hiring through the, the end of this year. And so kind of at the end of this year, we'll uh, on, on net lose about 12 to 15 million jobs on a calendar year basis. That is an improvement from the you know, 20 million that uh, you know, we, we've lost through the, you know, May, May, June. Um, and so, but you know, after this year, we have big gains uh, emerging. And what the consensus view shows that we should recover all the jobs lost by the middle part of 2023. So, on, on one hand, you say, my goodness, that's a really long time to, you know, in terms of a, a re recovery. However, if you compare that pace of recovery to the great financial crisis, it took uh, about six years to get back to pre, uh, you know, housing uh, bust levels. And then if we go back to the tech wreck, it took about four years. And so uh, this outlook actually outperformed the early 2000s downturn in subsequent recovery. And so while it may seem like a long time uh, in terms of this, the forecast that I'm explaining now, uh, compared to the last two recessions, it actually outperforms. And so that's a uh, a silver lining. And so there's been lots of discussion about the shape of recovery. Uh, it, it all depends on what metric you're looking at. If you look at kind of year-over-year -year gains, it's a V-shaped recovery. But if you look at total employment, it's more of a, a check mark. And so uh, that really depends on, you know, what, what chart that you're, you're uh, looking, looking at. And so yeah, in general, some recent positives overall, some signs of hope emerging for sure. But again, it could be offset by local setbacks due to hot spots. Uh, yeah, but we're, it's going to be a long road back, uh, but we're, we're digging ourselves out from a, a very uh, deep, deep hole. But one bright spot that should support the economy going forward is the housing market with record low mortgage rates. Uh, it's helping to increase home purchases. And since inventories are extremely low, home values are, are rising and uh, home builders responded to that elevated demand and increasing uh, single family home uh, pr production. And so we think that on net, that's a net positive for multifamily as there are huge multipliers uh, in terms of you know, 
so long as it, as it generates a lot of home buying and home construction, you think of all the title companies and real estate agents, mortgage brokers, et cetera, you know, all, all of those jobs will be enhanced by uh, increased home building and home buying activity. And many of those jobs will be people that actually rent apartments. And so on that, we think that that is a, a, a positive for multifamily. And so we're beginning to see uh, home ownership rise. Uh, now this next slide shows that the Census Bureau uh, reported actually just last week that the home ownership rate rose by three points to 68% in the second quarter. Uh, that is very much a distortion. So do not believe that data. Uh, and in particular, uh, we've had lots of uh, emails back and forth with the, with the Census Bureau trying to make sense of it. And their data collection method changed, as you might imagine, in the second quarter. And specifically, they did not uh, do any in-person interviews. There were only uh, phone interviews. And so they said to view this as just a complete break in the series. So that data point isn't com comparable to uh, prior levels. And so we right. do think that the home ownership rate did edge higher, just not as, as dramatically as what's being reported from, from the census. Okay, Ryan. So we have record low rates, and, and it's it's unbelievable what you can get a, a we'll just say a thirty year mortgage for. Um, yeah. But prices haven't changed. Number one, and then number two, you know, I just don't know many people that can look into twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two and say I have absolute job security, right? That the job that I'm gonna I'm currently employed now is going to be around for the next six months, eight months, year. Looking to the future, right? So you have. These two, you know, like I said, job uncertainty, you have home values that, you know, Corona's happened, but they've gone up, if not definitely stayed the same. So, I mean, explain how the home ownership rate just keeps ticking up and how we have such a crazy residential market today. Yeah, so very different situation than we were in uh, after the great financial crisis. Uh, and it gets back to this past cycle that we have been underbuilding housing in general uh, across America. So there was this housing hangover, right, uh, from 2011 uh, into this year where you know, single family production didn't get ramped up. And so we've had a chronic undersupply. And so uh, you know, after we worked off you know, huge excesses that we built up during the housing boom, but we worked those off, and then since then, we haven't been building enough. And so we, we think that that's really the cause of what's uh, keeping home prices elevated. So we, we aren't seeing these big, dramatic uh, declines in home values across the nation. Now, certainly some of the you know, gateway markets, et cetera, have been more uh, in, impacted, but housing has been undersupplied and is a, more of a you know, viable investment alternative right now. And so that's why we have not seen uh, you know, home prices de decline. Uh, in addition, you know, just the, the inventory that's out there for sale, there's hardly anything. You can hardly find anything to, to buy. And so uh, that combined with record low mortgage rates is kind of in, in, uh, keeping prices higher. That said, uh, what, what all you've said about the uncertainty and our 
households willing to make that commitment because that's a you know, huge, huge commitment. And you know, if they are uncertain, uncertain about their you know, job security, then yeah, they may delay that you know, home purchase decision and opt for the flexibility of renting, whether that's single family or uh, multifamily. And so that would be a tailwind to home ownership. And so we don't think, uh, yeah, the, the home ownership rates, and we show our forecast here in this slide, but we don't think the home ownership rates going back to the 69% level that we saw at the, the peak in 2004, 2005, we think it just edges you know, higher. And part of the reason why we don't see this you know, surge is because the, just the tremendous uncertainty out there right now uh, in, in the economy. So they're, they're both tailwinds, uh, headwinds in the, the housing and home ownership specifically. And so how all that plays out uh, will, will be uh, yeah, T, TBD for, for sure. Sounds kind of windy over there. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, but uh, kind of getting into multifamily, uh, this next chart shows that uh, uh, supply and demand for multifamily units. And so in the small inset graphic just shows absorption or the number of net move-ins uh, for second quarters in the, the past. And it shows that last quarter leasing stalled. So we had in second quarters, typically peak leasing season had been leasing over 100,000 units in recent second quarters and essentially went to zero uh, last quarter. Now you may say, oh my goodness, that's, that spells doom and gloom. However, we also had you know, over 20 million in jobs lost during that quarter as well. And so all things considered a, a stall and not, a, you know, not, uh, reverting to net move outs is actually you know, somewhat of a, a bright spot in terms of, of leasing. And so on an annual basis, the, the top chart shows that uh, annual absorption uh, now has dipped below net completions for the first time since the early part of 2018. And so we've seen a decline in occupancy uh, recently. And this is net apartment completions, which has totaled about 250,000 units over the, the past year. You may see some headlines that show 350,000 units delivered. Well, yes, that's the total or gross completions, but we also knocked down uh, a lot of multifamily units each year. We knocked down about 100,000 uh, units. And so this net uh, number accounts, uh, accounts for that. So leasing definitely uh, stalled uh, below, below uh, supply. And so we've seen vacancy rates increase uh, overall uh, across the nation. However, we haven't seen supply uh, slow down, which is kind of a, a bizarre uh, occurrence to, to us uh, at least. And so, um, you know, why, you know, why that is. So uh, in terms of multifamily production, we've ramped up, exceeded over 400,000 units on an annual rate into the, through late last year into the early part of this year. Uh, been holding about 400,000 units uh, started over the past year through June. You can see at the bottom, we in April uh, still started 20,000 multifamily units and then have increased that rate to 30,000 units uh, through through June. And so you know, why that is, we, we think that many of these projects that got started since March uh, were already capitalized. And so 
they had funds committed, banks lined up, equity committed, and they stuck shovels in the ground. Now, what actually constitutes a start uh, is, is debatable. Is it you know, clearing the site to make sure you get it uh, entitled or you know, folks may have you know, said they started but are delaying any you know, major uh, activity on the site. Uh, some of our equity clients are saying that they've pressed pause uh, just because they hope for some reduction in construction costs uh, going forward. And so hopefully you know, they're, they're thinking that subs will reduce their uh, prices uh, in the next uh, several months. And so we think that you know, that uh, yeah, on the equity side that should uh, delay or you know, result in uh, fewer starts going forward. And then in addition, in the last 30 to 60 days on the bank side, uh, we've had some uh, uh, you know, construction lenders say, hey, we've slowed our uh, approval rates of new projects down considerably. Actually, the Federal Reserve came out in the last couple of weeks and they do a survey each quarter of banks and they've reported that 70% of banks have tightened their underwriting standards for multifamily construction loans. And so we think that combination of equity and debt should slow starts going forward. And so we think new production falls from the 400,000 unit level, and we think it's cut in half by the end of this year into the early part of next year to 200,000 units. But then as the economy gains strength uh, next year, we think that that would pick up pretty quickly out in 2022 and 2023. So um, that should slow down in starts if that does uh, materialize, should give us a, a bright horizon for fundamentals after next year. So in terms of total completion, should hope close to you know, 320,000 units this year and then rise to 400,000 units next. And then we have a, a pullback uh, in uh, you know, when units actually get delivered out in 2022 and 2023. And then in addition, if we matched up with our demand forecast, we see net move outs this year with folks doubling up, moving back in with families, but then a release of pin up uh, apartment demand beginning late next year and, and then into 2022. And so if you combine that bounce back in demand with a fall off in supply, uh, should have a, a big window of opportunity after 2021. And so how all that plays out in terms of fundamentals, the kind of the two main fundamentals that we look at are occupancy and rent growth. And so this chart shows that we have a, a painful next few quarters into the early part of this year where we think rent declines uh, reach a, a depth of 8% on a national basis into the early part of next year, but then we get a bounce back and we get a surge of 7% out in 22 and 2023. And so rents are back to 2019 levels in the middle part of 2022 uh, or so. So really you know, it takes about what two, two and a half years to get back to uh, rent levels that we saw at the end of 2019. What that means for real quick, Ron, yeah. that, that this, this is a little different than the chart that we saw even in March. It seemed yeah. like in March it was more optimistic that you know we have a, a rough 2020, but 2021 is really when we start to see a pretty big increase, and it really does look like now that you know it's really 23. It sounds like when we are going to really get that potential large rent bump. Is that yeah, exactly. So later 2022 into 2023, yeah, and that's mainly a function, you know, what has changed. Uh, and one thing that we've adjusted 
uh, recently, especially kind of what we reviewed was our outlook in the middle part of April, I believe. And we adjusted our uh, forecasting process uh, to go back to a, a month, uh, to adjust to a monthly basis because things were changing so rapidly. And so uh, this, uh, the, the, the view, the consensus view for the economy has changed. And so it's a deeper you know, losses uh, this year in terms of the jobs because you know, we've in, then in, in addition, the, the pace of recovery is somewhat slower as well. And so this really is reflective of, uh, number one, kind of the, the change in the outlook of the, the macroeconomic forecasters that we follow in terms of deeper job cuts this year and slower uh, gains but then also uh, reflects the continued supply that we've seen through uh, the, the middle part of, of this year. And so that elevates supply uh, going, going forward over the next uh, year and a half, however long it takes those units to get delivered. And so that combination of a weaker economy, slightly more supply. Uh, and so we don't, we don't get that supply relief until uh, beginning in 2022, uh, really. And so that's what's resulting in these deeper rent cuts. Yeah, so, and real quick, I'm going to the lighter blue uh, part of the slide. So, yep. um, so are these occupancies projected to be, I guess it's not quite as low as 09? Um, yep, that's, yes, that's, that's correct. Uh, it is a steeper fall off. So we're going from, you know, uh, oh goodness, 96, 96 and a half percent to 93, 93 and a half percent. So a steep fall off over the next three quarters of about three percentage points. You can compare that to the more gradual declines that began in 06 into yeah, 09. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the, we're starting off from a higher uh, standpoint, but the fall off is actually a little bit steeper. And so we don't get to the, the depth that we saw in 2009, but also we have a, a, a bigger bounce back as well. What, what about, you know, kind of separating it in the classes A, B, and C? You know, so yeah. far is it projected that C is going to get hit harder or A is going to get hit harder? Yeah, we don't, uh, so, so far in terms of rent collections, and that's a metric that the, the industry is focused on recently. And uh, A's have actually outperformed in terms of rents collected uh, recently. And so they've outperformed B and C product. And we think that's just due to the nature of the job losses, right? And so job losses have been concentrated in low wage sectors, uh, more uh, likely to rent, you know, class C, B minus properties. Whereas at the class A's, those are, you know, high paying uh, positions, uh, a, a lot of those. And so uh, in the near term, in the most recent figures, Class A's have actually outperformed. However, going forward, we do not think that this downturn will be different than prior recessions. And so Class A's should lead on the way down in terms of rent declines. And so 8% uh, here for the nation overall, we'd expect you know, maybe even double that for Class A's. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that the reason is, is that they compete uh, most directly with the supply coming online. And those new deliveries, they will get filled up. It's only a matter of the market clearing price. And so once you factor in concessions to incentivize people to move into those new pro projects, then you know, we're seeing six, eight weeks free, free rent right now. And so that re results in the, the steeper rent declines at the top end of the market. However, 
they also lead on the way up. Part of that's because they are starting from a lower base to compare to B and C properties, and so they have a, uh, a higher pricing power uh, you know, going going forward. But yeah, we wouldn't think that this this downturn and how this plays out uh, would be different than prior recessions where we've seen in the after the tech wreck and after the housing bust that class A's lead the market on the way down, outperform on the way up. Uh, and so, you know, said differently, class B and C's, you don't see as deep of rent cuts, uh, you know, during, during the downturn, but then, you know, as we get into the recovery stage, they don't see the, the big pops uh, either. Yeah, and real quick, just you know, the you know one point that you mentioned that I think I wanted to highlight was what you know what a start. What's the term apartment start means? And in, you know, in some cases, I, I would imagine that you, you got your loan, you got funded. They allowed you to to do the first draw. The first draw might have been literally just clean up the site, tear down what was there, do your risk mitigation, do whatever. And then you know they had enough money to do that, but now they just have a vacant field because they're not getting you know, draws two through whatever it takes to finish the program. So, you know, I'd be interested to see, or I guess some, if, if you have money that's kind of, you know, you're paying interest on, then you probably need to, or you're going to pay interest on, you're probably motivated to try to do everything you can to get it moving. So yeah. from a lending perspective, I'd be really interested to see how that affects. And, you know, obviously if, the, if, if, it's, if a start doesn't mean substantial completion and I'm a class A operator, well then in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, man, this might be a tough year, but I'm not going to have much competition potentially with new supply coming at me in 2022 and it's going to go gangbusters. Yep. That's yeah. That's what exactly. That's what we saw uh, coming out of the great financial crisis where you had this big, you know, shutdown in supply. And so there was a, a great uh, leasing environment for deals that actually were, uh, you know, getting you know, transitioning into the lease up phase. And so that's what everyone is trying to, to figure out right now in terms of you know, timing. When is the optimal uh, you know, quarter, uh, you know, half a year to be delivering a, a project? Because yeah, if you can be delivering when the economy is on the rebound, in addition, you have you know, fewer uh, you know, new projects to, to compete with, there could be a tremendous window of opportunity. Uh, that said, you know, on the you know, lending you know, front, you know, there, you know, some of our bank clients are saying there's so much you know, uncertainty out there right now in terms of how the economy plays out uh, that they've you know, cut back considerably on new loan requests. And then also they're trying to figure out what they have in terms of their loans on the retail assets, lodging, office, buildings, and they're, they're gonna, they just have to spend a lot of time trying to you know, work those loans out. And so, uh, you know, they really just don't have the capacity right now to even, you know, think about, you know, multi, multifamily. But I, I do think in terms of kind of stepping back and looking at opportunity out there right now, certainly, you know, new development, uh, if you get your timing right, that's a, it could be a tremendous opportunity. You know, also, there could be land sites out there right now where, uh, you know, folks have, you know, pressed the pause button or, you know, halted uh, immediately and maybe they want to, you know, sell that land site to a, a different group. Now, you know, land sellers are some of the slowest to adjust their pricing and so that might you know, take some time to materialize, but that is uh, another, you know, a kind of opportunity out there right now and you can trust that with some of the, the value add space where 
you know, some of the, these recent purchases at the end of 2019 and the early you know, part of, of this year, you know, some of those cap rates that were being paid and now you can't get the, the rent bumps. Uh, and so some of those assets may have to be recapitalized. And so that could be an opportunity. But right now, there's really no distress in multifamily. And so, um, you know, if that, if, you know, the, you know, the economy doesn't come back as fast, if we don't get the you know, stimulus bumps or it does result in, you know, the incomes being impacted and folks moving out, then, uh, you know, that could be some opportunity in, you know, the you know, class B or older product space as well. And so, yeah, there are, uh, there's not many opportunities uh, out there right now if you're wanting to get a tremendous discount, but uh, they will emerge. I don't think that there will be you know, any you know, broad, widespread, you know, the tsunami of defaults or anything like that. It's going to be, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, micro level story on getting a really great deals on, on assets. And then uh, finally, just to, to end with some, you know, local market differences, uh, this next chart looks at you know, job growth or you know, the, the, how employment stands compared to pre-corona levels. So how many jobs are, exist in a given market as of June and compare that to February levels. And so probably no surprise, but Metro New York, uh, Orlando, Las Vegas uh, are among some of the most impacted markets where we see uh, the level of employment about 15% below February levels, also included in that group, Detroit, perhaps a little bit surprising, uh, Boston uh, as well. And so those are the markets that have been most impacted. Then you know, also kind of that second tier down, the, the West Coast markets are all plus or minus 12% uh, below pre-corona levels. And so the California markets, uh, Portland, Seattle, uh, have all been more impacted. However, as we get into the inner west markets, Salt Lake, Denver, Phoenix, all the Texas markets, uh, southeast, most of Florida have been more resilient. And so uh, that's just kind of a, a snapshot of job gains or you know, job, job losses uh, you know, through, through April than the, the, the bounce back that we saw in, in May and June. And so some, some bright spots that uh, correlate somewhat to what to expect for uh, uh, multifamily fundamentals going forward. The other piece is supply. And so some of these high growth uh, markets in the Southeast Florida have seen also a, a lot of, a lot of supply. And so matching up the you know, demand in terms of jobs and propensity to rent apartments and migration patterns with, you know, with the supply, we get our outlook in terms of rent growth on this uh, final uh, slide. And so uh, in, uh, in general, not really, uh, probably you know, many big surprises in terms of what you, know, you might expect where uh, we think Orlando, Vegas, New York, all uh, underperform. Uh, some of the leaders are Atlanta, uh, Miami, uh, but in terms of just headline rent growth numbers, also up in Seattle, we think is strong. The, the Bay Area, San Francisco and San Jose also show up. Uh, relatively well compared to many markets. However, four and a, you know, four, four and a half percent rent growth in San Francisco is pretty much a recession out in those markets where they're accustomed to their averages, four and a half, five percent. And it's, you know, th these numbers are far below the double digit increases that we saw 
in the early and middle stage of last cycle. And so while they stack up relatively well across you know, many markets, uh, for them specifically, they, they underperform. And especially when you have to match up that up with the cap rates you have to pay uh, out there, uh, should be some, some pain. So um, yeah, we kind of more broadly just thinking about you know, di different trends in, in the near term. Uh, you know, the, there should uh, continue to be you know, heavy out migration out of gateway markets. So, uh, but, but that's really nothing new. Uh, there's been heavy domestic out migration from New York, from Boston, into the Southeast, into Florida for many years. That's also a pattern that we've seen from California moving into the inner West, Texas markets. And so that's all going to be accelerated, uh, at least in the near term. Uh, until we get you know a, a viable COVID shot, whether that's a you know, vaccine that actually works or you know some kind of you know medical treatment as well, until we get you know the, the fear of the virus being alleviated, those trends that have been in place for years will just accelerate, and so that lends support to the inner west, Texas, southeast Florida uh, markets. And then you know, in addition, right now uh, you don't want to be living in very dense locations. And so in you know, urban cores in you know, New York, think of Manhattan, also you know, Seattle, LA, San Francisco, urban cores of Boston, you know, that we've seen uh, demand fall off considerably in those locations. However, uh, in the urban cores in the southeastern markets in Texas, those are less dense than you know, those high dense locations. And so those have held up relatively well. Uh, so there's some uh, interesting patterns for sure uh, emerging in terms of urban core, uh, you know, suburban uh, assets. We don't think that, you know, Metro New York City is, is doomed. <laughs> uh, you know, similar to you know, people, what people were saying after 9-11, where no one's going to want to move back into Manhattan again. And then, you know, New York went on this, you know, 20-year uh, urban densification. So, uh, we, we think in the near term, those trends will, that are popular in the media will uh, play out. Uh, but over the, the long term, we do, would expect uh, folks to move back into to urban cores just because of the, the, ex, the extreme benefits that you get from living in that, that city environment. So, Ryan, real quick, I mean, looking at the chart, I mean, the, the biggest, you know, number that shouts out to me is Atlanta. I mean, a 4% rent growth in Atlanta where prices really aren't that much more than Dallas comparatively, um, that's a pretty big shot when you look at some of these numbers. So it looks like, you know, Atlanta has some positive uh, momentum coming. Oh, it does. And part of that is the supply story there. And beginning about a year ago, we saw supply begin to really slow down in Atlanta. And so uh, that you know, Atlanta gets the benefit in the near term of, uh, you know, less of a you know, rent decline because uh, less, you know, lease up competition. And then, uh, you know, as we get out into the later part of next year, uh, that less supply tr uh, translates into higher pricing power. And so, yeah, we do would expect Atlanta to, to outperform. And yeah, 4% in Atlanta is tremendous, where Atlanta's at 2 2.5% rent growth market normally. Well, Ryan, just, this, this is just another great presentation, just just so fun to see how times have changed. And uh, it looks like we have one question, but before we do that, Christina, would you, Christina, are you still on? I am. 
Perfect. Christina, well, obviously that you can't have a TCU webinar without TCU. So we're excited. It's, it's almost time to, to, to start school. It is. So Ryan, good to see you again. Um, post Zoom bomb experience. You know, we <laughs> were in it together. So that's right. exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. You got through your presentation today without any snafus. So that's fantastic. Uh, so good seeing you again, Carl. You're right. We are right on the cusp of launching um, into this fall cohort. Our full-time MBA students have already uh, met on campus COVID style um, to kick off their program um, the safest way possible. And uh, my evening students are going to kick off here in about a week. So um, again, I focus on working professional graduate programs at TCU. So talking about, um, you know, the state of the current events that are going on right now is incredibly valuable and sessions like this for folks to be able to tune in from at home um, is incredibly valuable because we probably wouldn't be able to get Ryan uh, back on for round two if we were trying to uh, host an event on campus at TCU. It's just a little harder to make those things happen. So uh, these virtual engagement opportunities are incredible and really exciting to take advantage of every week. So um, we're excited about it. But yeah, I have a few spots left for this fall and after that we'll start recruiting for our spring cohort and um, keep it moving. So we're excited about the speaker series that you've launched and um, have really enjoyed it thus far. Perfect. Well, thank you, Christina. And Ryan, I think given time limitations, I'll, I'll shoot you the last question online. But to everybody that that, that, that tuned in today, um, thank you so much. Thank you, Christina, for allowing this to be possible. And, and Ryan, another great presentation. Thank you, everybody, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you all. Take care. Bye. Thanks. No problem.